What are they making a decision about? How do I feel about the president and the job he's doing on inflation, economy, crime? What is my quality of life? And in all these surveys, people are pissed. There's nobody out there saying, I am so mad about everything going on in the country, but I like that Joe Biden. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And the gang is back in town. Hi, Southern. Scott Jennings. I'm here. Kevin Grout. Jared Crawford. Hey, hello, Scott. I'm so excited to be in the studio I'm with excited. the guys. Hey, Scott. With the fellas. It is, it is great to be here. And frankly, this podcast began last year. And, and talking all about all the different variables and factors that are going to go be going into the 2022 midterm elections. And finally, now the last podcast prior to Election Day itself. This is a lot of build up. Our, our, our lives have led up to this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty exciting out there. And man, all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. Like. I mean, we'll never get to it all tonight, but like today, Elon Musk absolutely <laughs> devastating Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over her lack of understanding of, you know, how for-profit businesses work. I mean, that was amazing. Yeah. You've got people melting down, the left melting down on Twitter over that. We should talk about that after the election, I guess, just the, the absolute meltdown that's going on. Joe Biden apparently doesn't know what year or century. You got that? We got to play that. You, you, you wanna, you wanna I want to hear it right now. Yes, I, yeah, yeah. I will say <laughs> that's in, a, way to start. in a moment, we're going to hear the, the remarks that Joe Biden, the president, made uh, on yeah. Wednesday night regarding the what's the, the democracy. But is more at important, stake. let's listen to <laughs> more important. But but <laughs> the prelude to this are remarks just a couple of days ago explaining his. This is his first attempt at a closing argument yes. on the 2022 midterm election. Everybody think if we we're doing it for the first time now in the 20 21st century. Going into the 20th, from the 20th century going into the second quarter of the 21st century, that we'd say 12 years is enough? I think 12 years is enough in the, going into 20, 30, 40, 50? <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I know they got like, is that common core math? Like, what? It's like I don't even know what that is. I'm so confused. But then they did other things this week. They claimed in a tweet that the President of the United States unilaterally sets the Social Security benefit. That was the greatest self-owned tweet yeah. of the yeah. election when they yeah. admitted admitted to the President's inflationary policies. <laughs> now, here's the, Mike, you mentioned Elon Musk, because then Twitter, of course, had to put up like a, a context warning yes. on that tweet. Yeah. Which I, Would that have happened if Elon Musk not owned no Twitter? No way. No. no, they would have put up a little badge on there that says, this is absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> but, of no. course, the reason for that is because it's the, you know, the cost of living index indexed to yeah, inflation. in a law that's right. been on the books since the 70s. Right. The president does not set the thing. So it's well, directly he, tied to inflation. But his inflationary policies yes. have so resulted in this. It was so crazy. <laughs> and then and then Corrine Jean-Pierre comes out today and says, oh, oh, we had to delete the tweet because uh, it was missing... It was missing some context. I'm like, yeah, the context was you all lie your asses off <laughs> and you look like a bunch of morons politically. That was the missing context. Unbelievable. It is interesting to think that whatever staffer there at the White House decided to put that in there. Jean. Not realizing <laughs> that, that that someone out there would pick up on it. Everybody, even Politico, of all people, picked up on it this morning. And yeah. whacked uh, the White guys, this, this has been a core promise or a, a core campaign message and a core 
message from the White House for the past few weeks. They've been, been putting posts on Instagram saying, look what we've done for you. And the Republicans want to take it away. It's like, well, yes, we want <laughs> no, to take it stop. away. Who would, who would, who would have thought that their most uh, you know, seen or, or shared uh, tweet or social media post what of all things in the closing argument of the election would have to do with of all things inflation? And I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> they all, tried so hard for so long yeah, never to talk about it. Yeah. it. It's also perfect that they had to delete it. We've talked about how many times they've had to like pull back the president, right, right, like right. come back, like, well, oh, no, actually, it's like you know, again, it's like so perfect that at the end of this, they had to delete the tweet on the thing they thought they hit a home run with. And let's see, what else did they lie about? Uh, Joe Biden said that he had a conversation with the person who invented insulin who actually died before Joe Biden was born. He also said, again, which he continues to say over and over again, that his son died in Iraq. That did not happen. He also, again, which he lies about all the time, said that he attended a historically black college, (laughs) University Delaware State, which he did not do over and over. I mean, if again, I'm not here to defend anybody's lying, but this is literally no different than Donald Trump. In fact, it may be worse. It may be worse. This is on the heels of him saying the student debt relief plan was passed by Congress by a vote or two. Another lie. I mean, he is so far down the rabbit hole of an alternate reality. But isn't this just a continuation of the whole idea of if it's my truth, it's, it is. It's okay. I mean, really, this this boils down to <laughs> it's okay. You know, because this is how dare you? These because, aren't even <laughs> because the value and the values of 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 the Democratic Party, are intertwined with those policy directions. And so if you are disputing what he's saying about that, then somehow you're, you're questioning but the policies These themselves. aren't even shades of gray or differences yeah. of opinion. These it's are biographical totally facts. Yes, yeah. It reminds me of, uh, of the movie Major League and the uh, Bob Euchre, Harry Doyle, the announcer, is sitting up there. And he's like, I think this, I think this guy's a convicted felon in the offseason. And the, and the color <laughs> announces, it doesn't really say that here. And he goes, well, he ought to be. <laughs> I mean, it's, just plow ahead. Let's just keep, well, just keep I mean, going. This is before, we're, not, we're not relitigating, I guess, the 2020 election. But, I mean, if you look at Joe Biden's long career in Congress, this is not the first time. I mean, they always talked about Joe Biden's flubs or his, you know, what do you call it? His, his uh, lovable Uncle well, he Joe. Spins he just the kind of, yeah. Yeah. Loves, yeah. He's spinning yarn. He's spinning yarn. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. more yarn, Sean. But that's the whole yeah. thing. Is that, But there is a different Ready level for my of new blanket. <laughs> <laughs> There is a different level of scrutiny when it comes to being president. What is really curious about this, though, is that, first of all, Donald Trump should have been held accountable for just how bizarre he was as president and many of the bizarre things that he said. You just wish there would be the same level of scrutiny for the following president. But there has not been. I mean, you know, there's been a couple of little, you know, stories about, oh, well, you know, maybe maybe flying a little bit more than we thought. But it's been nothing like the constant cover. I mean... Honestly, that clip we played, which we laughed about, I'm old enough to remember when Donald Trump picked up a glass of water with two hands. Yeah. <laughs> or we, walked down a, a, a or ramp. Down, or gingerly walked down a wet ramp. Yeah. We were in like 24-7 coverage of right. the 25th Amendment. Like, whoa, is he going to be able to continue in office? He's so thirsty. Well, he needs two hands. <laughs> and Joe Biden literally is lost in what he doesn't know what century it Not is. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I suspect, I'll, I'll, maybe my, my bold prediction will come out, uh, early on our, sh- we'll do these later on. But as far as the election outcomes here, I bet there will be some progressive Democrats who are going to call for that kind of investigation or, or in, you know, just scrutiny of his mental state after this midterm election. They don't want him around anymore. 
Oh, I, oh yeah. I I agree with that. The the recriminations and the reprisals will right. be yeah. dramatic. They're going to be looking for it. someone to blame. It's amazing. You need to start Kamala now. Really I mean, so I'm just saying, this is the chance after it. Stick the, with them through the midterms. Sean? The finger pointing that is about to start occurring is going to... They're not going to be using the pointer finger, if you know what I mean. It's, it, it's going to rival the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. It is going to be everybody pointing at each other. And, I mean, if you all read George Will's column today... Oh, in the oh so good. <laughs> I missed it. Tell me. Oh, George Will asked Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for the good of the country yeah. to step aside and not run again. And you, it, it, it is... Uh, ben Shapiro said that it was one of the most eviscerating columns ever put on a printed page and i have to say it, it was bad his arguments he just quoted what they said yeah it's yeah. just it's just one long column of quoting them and and pointing out how ridiculous everything and and the, and the part about Kamala. <laughs> oh i mean just ugly where can i find this just I, i'll google it but i'm saying the washington, washington post yeah. I, I wasn't sure where he writes anymore because i thought yeah. george will have been canceled why? I, I thought he was one why? of the good ones because he's kind of a why? never trumper no i thought he was canceled a is few that years because ago. was he Canceled by you because you probably disagree with him on some weird baseball rules. <laughs> That's probably oh, yeah. true. Actually, I, I defend him because he and I are far more in lockstep on the baseball stuff. Mm. I'll, I'll have to look it up. We'll have to come back to that. All right. Before case. we before yes. we get on to the main topic, which is Joe Biden's speech, I just did I did want to say as we go into the election day, yes. where does the president stand according to the five thirty eight aggregate polling tracker as of tonight, Wednesday night, among likely and registered voters, he sits at forty three. Point three percent, forty three. Now, about this time, my recollection is about this time in twenty eighteen, Trump was somewhere in the forty four, forty five range. Just scroll and down on that page. I think it has it. My recollection is, uh, um, well, let's see here. Yeah, they were roughly, roughly the same actually. And uh, Obama was a couple ticks higher. He was at forty four. George W. Bush, interestingly, in two thousand two, was at sixty one point six at this time. <laughs> Uh, Bill Clinton was sitting at about 45. So so Biden is, is is a little bit worse than where Obama was and roughly where Trump was, and we know what happened in those midterms. I'm looking – I'm going to be asking you this. All, all of you think about this as well, uh, by the way, the, on these polls and where the president's approval rating is compared to maybe what some of the polls are in individual states. And that is the, the question I'm going to be maybe asking later on is how much sp- split ticket – uh, voting do you think you're going to see this time around where people in other words to what extent does biden's approval rating dictate this and to what extent are people willing to because you're, you're seeing for instance and I, I keep thinking about georgia let's start with georgia for a moment and then we'll get to biden's speech tonight but let me just ask you about georgia first scott because you're certainly seeing uh governor kemp you know running away with that race and walker warnock being you know being locked in a dead heat mm-hmm. so obviously there's some people who are splitting there who are voting for Kemp. Well, we'll see. We don't know yet. Well, if, if, if that happens this way, if it's closer that way, where I guess my question is, is that the key to all this? Is who's willing to split and, and, and when the party comes home? Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure the, the, the ticket splitting is going to be as dramatic in some of these places as some people think it is. I, I think it's it's gotten a lot narrower in the last few days. I'm not arguing there won't be a little. And there's always some in an election. It's weird. If you... If you Look at it. There's always people who you, you're like, "How did you arrive at this ballot?" I mean, you can see a few thousand people who <laughs> yeah. did, you know, things that you didn't expect. Uh, but the number that jumped out at me in Georgia this week was in the Atlanta Journal Constitution final poll before the election. And there's been a lot of polls in Georgia, but in the AJC's final poll, they had Herschel Walker up a point. It was like 47, 46. But Joe Biden's approval rating in Georgia was 37 percent. 
So basically, if you believe the Senate race is, let's just say you believe it's tied at 47-47, and there's 6%, you know, laying out there to get, and Joe Biden's at 37, where do you think those undecided, you know, people are going to break? They ain't breaking for the Democrats Mm -hmm. if Biden is truly that low. And so to me, uh, the governor's race is interesting, and I think Kemp is rolling, and it's great, and he's terrific. But really, this has almost always been about Biden. Mm -hmm. Democrats tried to argue over the summer and the fall, oh, there's going to be a decoupling that you're going to see Joe Biden doesn't he? he, People don't even think of him as a Democrat. They're going to be two (laughs) separate things. And I actually think it is going to be determinative when you look at the final voters to make a decision. What are they making a decision about? How do I feel about the president and the job he's doing on inflation, economy, crime? What is my quality of life? And in all these surveys, people are pissed. There's nobody out there saying, I am so mad about everything going on in the country, but I like that Joe Biden. Nowhere is that happening. Well, when you see the – go ahead, Kevin. And, and if you, even if you look up in New Hampshire, uh, Maggie Hassan, the incumbent senator mm-hmm. up there, is trying to put a little distance between her and Biden. Her closing message is more attacking the president than I think most Republicans do. Uh, but yeah. I think it's a little bit too late. So we heard the fumbled words of the president uh, from a couple days ago and the 10, 20, 30 uh, second quarter of the 21st century. I, I can't <laughs> quote it all. But as far as this decoupling, this is really the effort, isn't it, in the speech that he gave on Wednesday night? Is in other words, forget all the policy outcomes. Forget all that. This is a postpartisan race right now for whether you believe in America or you don't. And that's where the the speech, again, uh, in Washington, D.C., near the Capitol on Wednesday night, the president giving his closing argument. Takes time to count all legitimate ballots in a legal and orderly manner. It's always been important for citizens in democracy to be informed and engaged. Now it's important for citizens to be patient as well. That's how it's supposed to work. This is also the first election since the events of January 6th, when the armed angry mob stormed the U.S. Capitol. I wish I, wish I could say the assault on a democracy had ended that day, but I cannot. There's the argument he's making. So what Joe Biden and the Democrats have been arguing, and it's not just him. You look on MSNBC, you listen to Democrat uh, talking heads, opinion <laughs> leaders, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they are making a very, very stark statement. Democracy is on the ballot. And if a single Republican wins an election, it means the country has ended. The democracy is over. In fact, on Rachel Maddow's show the other night, they were making the argument that I mean, I think somebody on that show said, well, this may be the last election we ever get to vote in. I mean, think about what you're telling people when you say that out loud. And so I don't think it's going to work. I mean, think about it. Democrats control everything. White House, House, Senate. They are literally the ruling party. Democracy is not on the ballot. Democracy is the ballot. Democracy is the ballot. And what is more democratic than a country throwing out the ruling party and putting someone else in? They've got this totally backwards, and nobody's going to buy it. Later in that speech, he even concedes every argument Republicans are making. He says, don't vote for what your short-term policy interest would be. Basically saying, we're losers on everything from inflation to crime. Democrats have no message. You have to vote for these higher principles. And I don't think anyone's buying it. That's the decoupling effort, right? Yeah, I mean, what's strange to me is that the term democracy has just become this like catch-all for everything they don't like right uh there's a piece i I think it was rich lowry who wrote in in national review either today or 
yesterday that no democracy is not on the ballot. Essentially, the point he makes is if it is, Biden would be out there campaigning for these non-election denying Republicans. If that's all that matters right now is people who believe in our institutions, then you would be out there arm in arm with these people who are non-election denying Republicans. But of course, they're not and at the same time spending millions and millions of dollars to prop up those who are election deniers. It's absolute nonsense. It's this last ditch effort to to, you know, try to win people over, scare people over. Uh, but I, I it, what's frustrating is is. I don't. I don't even know what they mean by democracy anymore. Honestly, it's, it's well. It, what they mean is everything they. If, if a Republican opposes, if, if they have a an opposing view, no matter whether it's on taxes or spending or abortion or student debt, whatever it is, if you take the opposing view, the immediate yeah. retort is, "Well, you're against democracy." Yeah. Like everything we want is democracy. Everything you want is you know the seventh Fascism. level of hell, and it's it's like <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's an insane argument. Sean, while he is making this argument about election denialism and democracy is on the ballot you know jared you pointed out the spending that they've done from a campaign standpoint he continues to employ people in his white house who deny that brian kemp won the election in georgia and so if you're going to make this be your end-all be-all principle it needs to be a coherent thread that you you carry through every single thing that you do. Otherwise, you look and are a hypocrite. Sean, I don't understand why you hate democracy so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything Yo, you're saying right now. Fascist. I mean, complete anti-democracy. It's absolutely true. Corinne Jean, Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was one of the biggest election deniers on the Georgia governor's race. And by the way, lest we forget, Joe Biden himself in 2000, the Democrats always like to say, oh, well, you know, Al Gore conceded. Well, you know who didn't? Joe Biden. He gave a speech way back then saying, well, you know, Al Gore really won the election. So, yes, Joe Biden, hypocrite. Corrine, Jean, Pierre, hypocrite. And she's out there lecturing all of us about accepting the results of elections. Look, I accept the results of elections. But I promise you this, there will be Democrats after this election who do not except what happens because of the well, beatdown that's to come. We, we saw this not that long ago, maybe six months ago. Uh, Kamala Harris and some others already prepping for the idea that the 2024 election would be illegitimate. I mean, it's so... Uh, well, Biden, Biden said a few months ago that if his voting reforms don't pass, yeah. then the midterms themselves it, would be illegitimate. The, the sort of like he called, he called the Georgia voting law... Jim Crow in the 21st century, and what do we see today? Which century? Tw- yeah. 20, <laughs> the, he he 30, said it was the 40, third 20, quarter 12, of the 12, 18 plus 9. He said, yeah. 12, sorry, 30, 40. Time 6. I, yeah. I got my centuries and years <laughs> backwards and confused. But he, he said that, and what do we see today in Georgia? Historic, record-breaking turnout. Yeah. Five million votes cast, I believe it was. I mean, it's nuts. No one, no one's being suppressed. Now, the other uh, irony of all this too is the fact that the the Democratic Party and and, and groups of aligned with the president have been complicit in supporting the most extreme quote unquote election deniers on the ballot, uh, with with a, n- not learning the lesson, if you will, from twenty sixteen in the first place when they supported Donald Trump. Because they thought he would have he'd be the most easily beatable, right? So these are the people that. In other words, if if this in fact is such a critical and our uh, election and democracy is at stake, and our entire nation might stop existing, then how, how could you even play with fire again and support these people in the, in the primaries in the first place? And I don't know what's going to happen in New Hampshire, 
where the Republicans have yes. moved into a dead heat with Maggie Hassan. But Boldick was one of the most high-profile so-called election deniers that Democrats swooped in. Chuck Schumer spent at least $5 million late in that primary to get Boldick the nomination. Right. And they were proud of it. They thought it was great. And now he's on the cusp of possibly winning that Senate race. And so I know there were other races and, and you know, you know, there's there's other ones. But to me, to me, that's the one I'm watching. Because if Boldick wins, that one is pin the tail right on Biden, right on Schumer. They will have put this supposed enemy of democracy right in the United States Senate. Unlike uh, Joe Biden or Corrine Jean-Pierre and the Democrats, I'm going to correct myself and say that it was not five million votes cast. It was two million votes. And so I don't want to be out there spreading any disinformation uh, like they do every single day from the White House podium. It was it was 40 percent of five million, <laughs> 20, 30, 40 now, three quarters. So what you're saying is you just, you just uh, <laughs> suppressed three million votes. That yeah, Sean. Span of about 30 no. seconds. Yeah. Sean put the call in. They're like, no, Sean. No, Sean. Get rid- we're getting rid of those. We're getting rid of those. That was ultimate voter suppression. He just chopped it in half. Golly. Unbelievable. Terrible. But the point is true. There is there is yeah. good turnout in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, there's good turnout everywhere. Right. Everybody's voting. Here's the thing. We're going to have a high turnout. I have a question to ask, though. In the same way as the Democrats uh, were, are complicit in promoting the most fierce election deniers, so to, so to speak, across the country in the primary races you know, months ago, and now they're on the ballot, is the risk here as well for Democrats that they are going to – all of the narrative that we've heard that this is a referendum on Donald Trump, if in fact it is a referendum on Donald Trump, how is he going to look after this election? In other words, there's the, the fear from Republicans is he was going to drag down the party. Mm-hmm. If the party, in fact, prevails and, and Republicans win majorities in both the House and the Senate and the governorships, I mean, Trump is going to want to make it about himself. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the election that way, though. I mean, I know the Democrats have. But I, to me, it's a clear referendum on Biden. Just like the 2020 election was a referendum on Trump. Yep. And Americans were like, I'm done with this. The 2022 election is a referendum on Biden, and now they're done with Biden. I, I actually, and I've said this on the pod before and in many, many appearances on other media, the American people could not be speaking more clearly about what they want, which is something totally different. So they vacated are you Trump. Sure? They're vacating Biden. Are you, are you sure? Because it seems like the Democrats don't read polls or anything like that. No, they don't read polls because they bet the farm on the seventh most important issue. <laughs> Actually, they the do read the polls because I, I've been seeing some coverage here in the last couple of days that polls are actually a strategy. It's it's a nefarious strategy to flood the zone. By the vast right with, conspiracy. Exactly. <laughs> with Republican-favored polls to try to, to suppress the vote. Did you know 538 is a right-wing operation? Yes. This is news to me. I mean, uh, they. <laughs> I so we were, this guys. is uh, this is joy. I thought we were supposed to be for anyone who, who doesn't get it. I thought we were supposed to be following the science, guys, and aren't polls like scientific? No, I can't. I can't go that far. I mean, Robert Blizzard was a fantastic guest last week. Really had a, gr- a lot of great comments about that. I learned a lot, yep. you know, from him. And it was just a. It was fantastic to be able to go through all of that. But it, with all due respect to him and other respected pollsters. I mean, polling is an inexact science. And frankly, yeah. Scott, I think, I mean, before we go to some other uh, uh, topics of, of the week, I mean, I'm not saying the polling's on the ballot, but really we are at an inflection point really in polling just because of the un, the lack of, of trust that conservatives in general have in pollsters and how do you capture that support? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's not exact. 
And the reality is there's so many polls, somebody's going to be right. And so somebody's going to come out of this thing saying, we were the most accurate, and then somebody's going to be way off. And then there'll be a bunch of people in the middle, and we'll all lament that nobody can quite get it exactly right. You sh- your emotional state should not be tied to waking up in the morning and reading the polls. It really should. <laughs> right. But for a lot of people, it is. And I do think one of the problems the Democrats have is they told their people all summer and really all fall that don't believe your own eyes. Joe Biden's approval rating doesn't matter. The economy doesn't matter. Inflation doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is abortion. And, you know, this is what's going to rule the day. And, and it's all going to work out. You'll see. And here we are at the end. And the mask is fully off. Joe Biden's approval rating does matter. Inflation is the most important issue in the election. So everything they told them to ignore, you, well, at some point, you can't ignore all the blinking red lights. What do we know? Biden's in the, you know, charitably, the mid-40s, but really the low-40s. Inflation never went away. People are upset about and think we're about the economy and think we're in a recession. Folks are worried about going outside and being mugged or carjacked or murdered or whatever. Uh, it, it is a quality of life referendum on the party in power. And Democrats told their people, it's not. Don't worry about all that stuff. Only worry about this one issue. And that one issue has gone so far down. And so it, it's a reckoning. And it, it's, it's a little bit like what happened with Fetterman. They lied about Fetterman all summer. And finally, when he showed up at the debate, there was a reckoning. It was like, oh, you did lie to us. And I think that's the problem they have with their people. And so they're worried about enthusiasm. One of the problems with their party is they told all their partisans, don't worry, <clears throat> abortion's the top issue. Don't don't listen to anything else. Biden's irrelevant. And now the veil is off. And so I, I really, they got no one to blame but themselves for this mess. So enthusiasm, let's talk about two other factors in the last week. Uh, and I'm going to ask Sean you first, if, if, if either of these, the first one is Barack Obama being more present now in this race. And could be, can he at all be a factor? Can that change enough in the, in the very tight races such as in Georgia? You know, every time Barack Obama has tried to interact with the voters in a midterm election has always turned out very well for Democrats. Mm. No. <laughs> I, think, I think that it's a last-ditch last effort that they're trying to gain some sort of magic on the campaign trail. But, I mean, he, he, he looks old, guys, out there. He doesn't look the same. He, he, he looks old. He looks rusty. Uh, and, you know, interestingly enough about, about tonight's speech with, with Joe Biden is I think that uh, part of the reason this they slapped this speech together was because Biden's frustrated that he can't be out there on the campaign trail because he's so unpopular. And he sees himself uh, sitting in Washington, D.C. and thinks this is the only way he can he can interact or try to influence the election at all. Uh, and he's a little jealous of of Biden uh, is jealous of Obama's uh, popularity on the campaign trail with uh, Democrats. So uh, that's that's my perspective. Yeah, Sean, I actually had kind of the opposite reaction, and, and maybe it's because we've been watching a, an old man kind of stumble around the stage. I thought o- Obama sounded and interacted with crowds phenomenally well. Now, he's obviously an incredibly polarizing figure. You mentioned the past midterms when you know he's been involved and they haven't gone well for Democrats. But you know, to your point earlier, Joe, the thing I started thinking was, I think Democrats are going to want a guy more like this, like the the energy he brings, how co- how much cooler he is, like the swagger he brings to the stage. Uh, the the he had that moment with the heckler that I thought was he handled incredibly well. Um, I, I mean, I think the party clearly wants somebody like that. I don't know who that next, maybe Pete Buttigieg, somebody kind of young and energetic. 
But now, she's not good on stage, right? Like that's <laughs> look, like, where, where is I she? I mean, we, the, the allure of Obama people is people in jail, he, I guess. The allure of Obama is that he won. Yeah. And you know, he, he had an easy race in 08 because of the what was going on in the country. You know, his 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 personality and his campaigning ability, I do think floated him in 2012. You know, unemployment was high. I mean, it, you know, there was there was a lot of belief uh, that he might get turned out, but but he he kind of willed himself over the finish line. But he hasn't been on a ballot in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And despite all the the descriptions of him as being this reluctant campaign, he doesn't really want to have to go out there. But you know he loves it, and he and he went out there in ten and got shellacked. In fourteen, he got shellacked, and and it was and the thing that the Obama people never want to admit it was Barack Obama's presidency and his attitude right. that turned the country over to Donald Trump. Yep. They are responsible for Donald Trump, and they've been trying to make up for it ever since. My impression of Obama was he's a he's a gifted communicator. He's yep. his own presence. But listen to what he was saying. He's out there freaking out about Social Security and Medicare, which yeah. is just the common sort of October Last stuff uh, from effort, Democrats. Yeah. Realtor off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and he sounded, candidly to me, a little unhinged. I mean, it was a little angrier than you hear Obama usually. And he also said, like, you know, if you were flying on an airplane with Herschel Walker, you wouldn't let him fly the plane. I'm like, well, would you let John Vetterman? Are you hiring him <laughs> as your personal pilot? You know, would you let any politician fight? I mean, some of the things he was saying just didn't make any sense. And so I I don't know. I mean, he, he's a gifted guy, and he's very talented, and certainly props to what he pulled off in 2012. I'm, I'm just not sure the things he's saying are compelling to anybody but the most partisan of Democrats. So you're saying his heart's not in it anymore? He knows where the ship is going? No, I think uh... his heart is in it, but I think, I think they have spent the last, you know, six years now trying to atone for essentially turning the country over to Donald Trump and Trumpism. And they've not yet figured out how to do it. And and obviously, we know what he thinks about Joe Biden. We know what he thinks about Biden. <laughs> yeah. And so they're probably not happy about that either. And and there's this, there's this growing level of discontent that you pick up in interviews that Obama's had in the last six months with chiding the left for being too woke and, and going after this people for being – too uh, harping too much on being politically correct and all this stuff. It like he, I think that he is feeling like he is falling out of touch with the Democrat Party after he launched it on this on this direction. But he's also out there telling them to get rid of the filibuster so they can pass their mm-hmm. far left agenda in the same way. I I don't know. Right. I mean, I think about, like the but, rank and file. But as a but, but as a political operative. He understands, and this will actually, Sean, I'm to bring this up. I think more than the comments that he's made in Georgia about Herschel Walker flying a plane or about, uh, about basically who's really on the ballot who's going to fight for you, I think the comments that he made that will be the most remembered and significant after this race, after the midterms are over, are his kind of reckoning on that podcast to say Democrats need to be more fun. And the Democrats need to be more real. I mean, that, that that they have lost touch with the ordinary Americans. He, he's always been real slow to pick up on where the progressive left is going. I mean, remember, in 2008, he was against gay marriage. Yeah. As a senator from Illinois, he was pro-coal. He, I remember, I'm old enough to remember him sponsoring coal legislation with Jim Bunning of Kentucky. And it wasn't until, you know, 12 where, and it was actually Biden that, that sort of pre-announced their, their change of pace on gay marriage. Obama's never been as liberal as the base of his party wanted him to be. Now, they have Im- imputed that to him, I think, at time, but I'm not sure it's ever actually fully been real. But this is part of his instincts. I think he knows that that fringe progressive left and just how 
nuts they've gotten on some of this culture. He knows how corrosive that can be to your ability to win an election. And I think he's sometimes trying to, like, pull them back. But I, I think they're so far gone, they don't want to hear it now. And I think I think that part of this has to do with the demographic shift that we've seen in the parties over the course of the last two, three cycles with the college-educated white people becoming the dominant strain of who who are the thought leaders of the Democrat Party. Uh, they are the ones that are that are uh, controlling the narrative on all this woke culture stuff. And you you can look at the polls and, and tell that there are a lot of African-American voters or a lot of Hispanic voters who are turned off by this stuff. There were a lot of working class Americans of all racial stripes who voted for Obama in eight and in 12, who then turned around and voted for Trump in 16, and they are still voting Republican right now. A lot of the people who put Obama over the top do not consider themselves to be Democrats anymore. And it's over these cultural issues and this, you know, radical progressivism. And, you know, it's, it's like hard to tell your own people what they don't want to hear. Uh, but, but that's really what the Democrats need. They get no path back in middle America or rural America unless they rein some of this in. Obama's the right messenger. I, but even, even still, I don't even know if they, can, if they would accept it from him at this point. That, that wing of the party is so strident and so sure that they're the only moral and right uh, faction of political operators in America. I'm not, I'm not even sure Barack Obama uh, would be persuasive to them. By the way, as, as you know, I've, I always bring the PBS NewsHour into this podcast. Oh, good. But Lisa, you know, these are on, this is amazing. Hour on Wednesday. Oh. But oh, better than you RT. Mentioned, you mentioned white college-educated uh, uh, voters. And anyway, what she was saying tonight, is, it kind of piqued my interest. That, But even now, that contingency is breaking toward Republicans. Oh, really? That's what they said in the latest poll tonight. Even so, they uh, hate paying $1,000 for a headline. Well, I was going to say, and, cr- <laughs> and crime, too, right, I imagine would be an issue for those people who are seeing it sort of leak out to their parts of the city, right? Like, it's just, it's undeniable that well, think, as think, it grows, it spreads. Think you know? about something, what those people thought they were getting. Those people in the suburbs that broke for Biden in 2020, remember, he campaigned to them as a moderate. He said, look, I'm not as crazy as Bernie Sanders, and I'm not as crazy as I'm, I'm the middle ground here. They thought they were getting a middle ground, moderate, I'm going to unify the country, I'm going to bring right. people together. And every day, Biden has found a way to remind them how much he lied to that group. And so it's it, apart from the quality of life issues... They had the promise broken by we, the president. We we talk about this all the time about them not just having a messaging issue, messaging issue, but having a policy issue here too. And the Obama Biden uh, crime policy issue is a very clear one. Obama and Eric Holder, for all his faults, my goodness, I feel like a Democrat operative tonight. We're very tough. You kind of look like one. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. We're we're very tough on gangs. Supported uh, fund more funding yeah. for police, local police departments, uh, cops. CO, which stands for community-oriented policing, something like that, was uh, spo- uh, was pushed hard by Obama and Eric Holder, redefined uh, the definition of gangs to be able to go after gangs from the DOJ. All of that gone during the Biden years, right? So there's a clear policy difference on these sorts of issues, too. And, you know, Joe seemingly was President Biden. I keep saying Joe because I keep thinking of the quote uh, Obama says uh, about Joe Biden. Um don't never underestimate Joe's ability to f things up. F things up. Yeah, and not uh, and F does not stand for fun. No, <laughs> but to, to be to be there during those years and see this and see a really successful program on something like crime, and now you know a decade later, 
either he's forgotten about it or he has no idea how to talk about it or he doesn't believe in those policies anymore and he's beholden to this defund the police part of his uh, uh, party and voters. And so, like, even issues like that, that, like, middle middle of the road Scranton Joe should be able to talk about has no idea how to how to broach them with voters. So the, the latest poll, by the way, is the PBS NewsHour NPR Marist poll. Mm. And the, the number they gave... Thank you for, for waking <laughs> up, Scott. The number they gave, this this will actually pique your interest and wake you up. Doubt it. In the last time they did this poll, college graduates, by the way, 95% of this contingent say they plan to vote. So it's a very high level. Yeah, high voter. engagement. Okay, high high engagement. voter. Yeah. So last month, 65% of this cohort said they were voting for Democrat. This month, it's 55%. Yeah. I'm just saying that this that's, that's yeah. is what piqued my interest when I heard it tonight. So I, I, I will tell you something else, and I, and I think this group would have picked up on it, but, but really all Americans also. It's just this idea of the bait and switch. I think they got baited and switched by Biden on him being a moderate. But the number one issue in the election is inflate in the election is inflation, and this group cares obviously about inflation. And the only meaningful thing, the not meaningful, the only thing <laughs> Biden and the Democrats did on inflation was take a piece of climate change legislation, mm-hmm. pass it, and change the name of it right. to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. And it obviously wasn't an Inflation Reduction Act. In fact, it's done nothing on inflation. And this group of voters right here. You know, I mean, they're not stupid. It also has done nothing to lower energy costs. No, it's done nothing. The The, the thing is, it it, it was such a, it was such a, I mean, it's it's almost just like they, like they really do think we're stupid. They think American voters are stupid. And you take this group of people right here, they've already been lied to about him being a moderate, and then you insult their intelligence by saying, oh, well, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, so why aren't you happy about that? When all they did was change the name. So Joe Manchin could go on TV one Sunday morning and claim that he did something on inflation. People aren't stupid. And I said at the time, if you're going to pass this bill and call it that, and it doesn't reduce inflation, you're going to wear it. And that group right there, I think he's wearing it. So back around to the president's speech on Wednesday night, and how that speech began was about the attack on Paul Pelosi. And obviously, uh, we can all agree, and, and Scott, I think you have been... You know, we all have spoken against political violence. You have the loudest voice and the biggest platform on CNN and on your other appearances across the country. You have been consistently anti-violent speech, anti-violence, and 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 you know, regardless of party or favor or anything else, you, you've done that. So let's be clear about that. And we are all opposed to and don't give any quarter or apology or, or, or excuse for someone who would carry out that kind of a, of a horrible crime. But, but that said, I'm going to talk about it politically, Kevin. Does that moment, is that enough of, a, of, of an event to bring up January 6th again and the specter of political violence and to blame Republicans for that? Is that enough of a factor? I mentioned Obama before as being one factor. This is the other factor I want to ask you about. Is this something that people are paying enough attention to to say, you know something, I'm going to have to put my policy differences aside and vote for anti-attacks on speakers' husbands? I don't. I don't know if it if it matters. Do, do Democrats need an excuse to bring up January sixth? They they do it so frequently. I mean, it's a it's a constant topic. I think I think the problem with this, and I agree with everything you said about political violence and and um, I mean, we, we are on a slippery slope here. I mean, go back to the congressional baseball shooting. Uh, fast forward to the guy who shows up at Brett Kavanaugh's house, and he's in jail for attempted murder now. 
somebody tried to stab Lee Zeldin, the Republican running for governor of New York, on a stage. I mean, if I could just for a moment here, because I also want to bring up yeah. the attack, uh, and I know it had to do with, with more than than just his political leanings, but the attack on Rand Paul that Rand has Paul. been completely mocked yeah. by people. Here's the, I, I, again, I'm a former journalist, and this is, this is something that's happened when I was a journalist. There is... I'm sorry, but for people today to be, you know, and all over the place, you see people who are talking about the same. Well, gosh, I, I'm, I'm like Grandpa's neighbor, and kind of think this is a fun thing. Yeah. He suffered serious physical consequences and still does to this day. I think he had some of his lung removed. He did. Yeah. I mean, he terrible. Did. Yeah, he did. In the Booker campaign, his opponent features these people as being heroes. Yeah, to his campaign. And, 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 and it's not just these high-profile totally people. Disqualified. Too. There were some canvassers, I think, working for the Rubio campaign yes. in Florida, who right. were attacked yes. while they were out. Just yeah. how about how about the, the the dozens of attacks on pro-life pregnancy resource centers around the country? Fire bombings. I mean, so so we are on a on a slippery slope here on violence. The question is, why is it that our discourse around this is dominated by people who seem to be more dedicated to minimizing violence against Republicans than they are at minimizing violence altogether? Yeah. They don't acknowledge their own violence. And I, and I think the answer is, A, political, because it's, it's, it's nothing but a political cudgel for them. But B, um, I think it has to do with ownership and they don't want to take ownership of the people on the left who have committed some of these acts in the way that they want Republicans to have to own some psychotic, nudist, you know, homeless drug addict in San Francisco. They, they want, they want pe- Republicans to have to own that, but they don't want Chuck Schumer who said on the steps of the Supreme Court, you've unleashed a whirlwind. You won't know what hit you, Kavanaugh. They don't want Schumer to have to own the guy who went to Kavanaugh's house to murder him. They don't want to own the person who attacked Rand. They don't want to own the person who tried to stab Lee Zeldin or shot uh, Steve Scalise, even though he was clearly a Bernie Sanders supporter. They don't want to own all that. Yet they want Republicans to have to own a rando, crazy person in San Francisco who's clearly just a nut. The guy is clearly a nut. He's a psychotic schizophrenic, paranoia, whatever. He's got everything you could have. This guy's not some Republican Party precinct captain. He's a nut. But they want to they want to make us own that, but they don't want to own they don't want to own it on their side. To me, this whole thing is a question of ownership. And the fact that the discourse around political violence is dominated by people who will shout you down if you even dare raise Rand Paul or any other issue. They they get enraged when you bring that up. What is the yeah. difference? Yeah. yeah. What's one, the difference? One of the things that has really upset me is how much the media has sort of like wanted Republicans to not condemn this, right? Like uh, the the sort of like quickly being like Republicans haven't said anything. If you look, every Senate majority, uh, Senate, uh, Republican, Republican leader. leader, Mitch McConnell, every, from him on down. McConnell, McCarthy, uh, everybody, Scott, Mike Pence. Yeah. Freaking Marjorie, Marjorie but it, Taylor Greene. But Green. it's performative. It's a matter of are you saying it sincerely enough? Are you using uh, the right adjectives? Uh, you, no, seriously. I mean, this no, is what oh, it yeah, yeah, yeah. This I mean, is, Yeah, this is now, basically you, you didn't match my words. It is yeah. true, by the way, that some Republicans raised questions about the circumstances of this when it happened. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I, I didn't. 
I always wait 48 hours on yeah, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I will say, I will say some of the reporting that was done by the media caused the questions. Yeah, that's right. Politico kind of confused everybody in their initial thing. And then Politico comes out two days later screaming about Republicans who were spreading misinformation. They were right. simply saying what right. they read in yeah. Politico. NBC yeah. News uh, reporter out there also yes. talking about the third person in the House and this yes. kind of stuff. Now, yeah. to your point, and it's a very smart uh, and 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 just experienced way to look at any of these things. When it, the, the worst, inf- the first information is the worst information. Just remember that, and just wait. Just wait. Just yeah. wait. There's no need for to com- for commentary other than to say this is t- this is bad. But yeah. what is right and proper is to immediately say this is terrible. Right. And and that's the answer in all these cases. Yeah. This is terrible. We're better than this. In the United States of America, people who are that close to the line of succession to the presidency. Their houses should be more protected than some nut being able to walk up there in his underwear and break in the door. They should be. I'm sorry. These people are vulnerable. They deserve our protection. And 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 to me, it's dehumanizing to expose them and make them as vulnerable as they are. Now, I don't agree with Nancy Pelosi on anything. But my God, third in line to the presidency and some rando can walk up to the door and break it in and just go in? while her husband's in there, just because she happens not to be there, this is not acceptable. And to me, that's the clear answer here is we got to get serious as a a political industry about some humanity around these people. These people are public servants. Again, I'm not for Nancy Pelosi, and I'm looking forward to her not being the speaker. She's a public servant. She deserves, and her family and her house deserves a level of protection that's obviously not getting. Same for McConnell. Same for McCarthy. Same for all these guys. What's it going to take? Is someone going to have to die before we get serious about this? It's crazy. In the Capitol Police this week, I think, in a pretty rare public statement, did call for more resources to do yeah. just what you, they what need you it. mentioned. They yeah. need it. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's like hiring retired Secret Service agents mm. or repurposing every single TSA agent in the country. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Here we go. I don't know what Here it we is. Go. Dude, but it's, there's got to be something. Can I share the photo of you at the Liberty Bell? No. Oh. No, I don't want to see <laughs> that. We'll tweet that out. <laughs> but, while, but while we're on it, we went to the Liberty Bell, Joe and I did, and they made me take my belt off That's to right. see the Liberty Bell, yeah. which is ironic given that we were going to see the Liberty, Liberty Bell. Bell. Yeah. And was. here I was having my liberties taken away from me and almost your pants and almost (laughs) they were big they almost fell down there's no i mean i was it was an unlawful seizure of my pants basically i don't think we tweeted this picture did we no don't i should do that no i don't want you to we all have it now you can't get you can't stop us all from tweeting it but I did have an uh, an unhappy look on my face. You do. <laughs> Although, I mean, on our trip to Philadelphia, and we had a great time Ugh. at Valley Forge, and and we're talking about you know the the various uh, history there. I was thinking though about because you and I were talking, you had a long conversation, Scott, about the different presidential residences, especially early on in our country. Yeah. And I was thinking about the fact that presidents used just to live in just in a house. Yeah. And they would walk to work. Well, they weren't just houses. I mean, they <laughs> No, were... I mean, I'm just saying is yeah. it was no, I, far yeah. simpler than yes. what it is yeah. today. Uh, and, and I'm just saying even, you know, back in the era of the first presidents, they would walk down the street yeah. and they would go in even not just the first presidents i, I was, was going to say into the 20th century yeah. you still have harry truman and others you know uh who that late into the 20th century who would still you know go on walks in washington yeah so anyway but but, but i guess what i'm th- to, i was thinking about that scott when you're talking about 
the, the, the era that we live in today? Is that just a something which we can't? <sighs> You'd like to think they could, but but all it takes is one crazy person. Right. Yeah. You know, I actually think the most vulnerable people are the members of Congress that you've never heard of. Right. Well, Gabby Giffords. And I mean, these people who aren't in leadership, you know, but but they're in their communities and yeah. they're out in their communities. Sure. And all it takes is one. Yeah. It takes right. one nut to find out who they are and get fixated on them. That's all it yeah. takes. I get concerned, and I'm not blaming. And by the way, for they they have nothing. There's no security assigned to them. They they have nothing. They're just like you and me, except they're a member, and that makes them a target. I am concerned at the same time from from some of the again like the speeches tonight. I I just don't want it to raise the point where. If you say that these people are threats to democracy, yeah, then who's I think going to that, take matters into their own hands? Exactly, that's my concern yeah. about well, these. Like, exactly. Overall, like just turned out the, the, the temperature guy, down. Right? I mean, the argument is, if Republicans win, then the country right. ceases to exist. The Constitution so is what's no my longer duty? operable. Yeah. What's my duty at that point? Yeah. Yes, and and yeah. so irresponsible. There, there has been so much irresponsible rhetoric across the board. To me, this is making it worse, mm-hmm. and it's just part of the spaghetti they're flinging against the wall. It's that's it. It's literally nothing more. It's nothing more than this short term fling it against the wall and see if we can salvage an election. And and to me, that's what makes it even more irresponsible that they could be firing people up in a way you just said, all all just to try to stave off what losing a couple of fewer House seats. I mean, look, brother, it's gone. The House is gone. It ain't coming back. Don't do this. To the, don't take tell half the country. Well, I guess the Constitution's outlawed now. Somebody's going to believe you. Sure. Yeah. I, I also think, too, it's it's why it's important that Republicans, you know, when they, they talk about this in the media, that they, they say things like, well, it happens on both sides. And they get a lot of pushback for that. But it's true. But it's also important to helping prevent these sort of things, too, right? If you're only going on 4chan and control effing stop the steal, you're going to miss – Antifa who burned down our cities. You know, like so I don't idea- even I don't even know what you just said, by the way. <laughs> Ten, twenty, thirty. Wait, what? Second <laughs> wow. You know, I so I, I think, you know, Republicans get annoyed when there's only a focus or an only an attempt to sort of blame their side because if you're if you're going to get serious about preventing this and in, in you know, involving law enforcement or security or capital police and trying to identify these people who are threats you got to look at the other side too. There are people on both sides of the spectrum who are crazy, who are who are threats of violence, and so you know when this happens, say, well, if we're going to you know talk about this, it happens on both sides. We need to be accountable for both crazy people on our side and on your side, and you know who run in your circles and run in my circles, and they get a lot of pushback for that. It's 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 frustrating because it's very clearly Craig Greenberg, who's running for mayor here, a, a, in a, Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, yeah. Was shot at by someone who was wouldn't be considered a Republican in any circle, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be let inside the tent under any conditions, and so, uh, you know, it, it really does. Both sides have their, uh, you know, people who are crazy or who sort of foment this this political violence, and so you do have to look at both sides and be accountable to both sides. Otherwise, you're going to miss a good chunk of dangerous people. Well, and to your point, it's 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 not uh, letting someone. Be different. In other words, everyone. If if you are of that stripe, then everyone. Then you believe everything of the most extreme portions of that. Yeah. And and rather rather than admit, like I said before, Scott is the the the, the high profile person on this panel, and no one has been on national television more vociferous in 
in decrying political violence of all stripes than you, Scott. Yes. And But yet, when I read your Twitter feed oh. and the comments, it's like, why didn't you say that about the, about the orange man? I'm like... He did. I know. It's just it's, but it's, but this is where truth is obviously a casualty of yeah. war I mean, here, and politics. I mean, as we're recording this, here's the Axios news alert: Biden links Paul Pelosi attack to Trump rhetoric. Right. I mean, it, again, it, the the desire for Republicans to have to own every crazy person and the lack of personal responsibility they show on all these other violent people that have come after. All the folks we named. It, it is it is so dishonest. It is such gaslighting. Speaking of ownership, let's talk about the uh, pandemic and who is responsible <laughs> and accountable for the different uh, liberties, perhaps, that were... Uh, oh, I've been great, waiting for that this. That's a great segue. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I like that a lot. Nice. <laughs> it's like you do this for a living. How about that? So who, who share, who's the first person who, who shared this Atlantic article with me here? Uh, I think Jared and I read it at the oh, same time. Yeah. I just got to the bottom it went, it went kind of viral. Yeah. Uh, Not in a good way. Know. Tell me about it. Whenever. Well, <laughs> the virus. Oh, gosh. So Emily Oster, who I actually uh, – She's been, she been all right. She's been pretty good. I actually think she does a lot of – writes a lot of good stuff despite the, the, shark. the fact that it's in the Atlantic, <laughs> which, again, is not always something I'd go to for, for good writing, but – Early on, with <laughs> oh man! Well, what do you go to? Mad Magazine? No, it's Four Chan. The only Four Chan's I know are the cookies you get with your <laughs> cancel. That's right, cancel. Four Chan's, ladies and Canceled. gentlemen. Oh, oh, it's Four Chan, not Fortune. Fortune. I'm sorry, I, I misunderstood. <laughs> um, I don't know what these things are. It's some computer stuff. It's you don't know what Four Chan is? So. Do you so. not know what Four Chan? You know what Reddit is? Yes, I know what Reddit okay, is. It's about the same thing. But, like, apparently created January 6th. You know, like, that's <laughs> a, if we're playing the blame game here, it's. Um, All right. Okay. But so, b- back to the. There and what's it say inside? <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking. Stop digging. Put the shovel down. Um, so, Emily wrote this, this piece, uh, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, which is exactly as it sounds, sort of. You know, wipe all of the good, the bad uh, of, you know, what happened over the last couple of years. Some of us got it right. Some of us got it wrong. Don't gloat if you got it right. You know, don't worry if you got it wrong. Um, And those who, you know, made the mistakes, we shall forgive them and move on and and sort of, you know, that's it. Um, And so, yeah, this piece went viral on i mean i saw it everywhere i saw basically everybody from every political stripe sharing it with their thoughts uh i think it's well intentioned look i'd love to be able to look back and say okay i get that we all made mistakes we had limited information the problem is is these people were not well intentioned some of these teachers unions some of these politicians these the scientists the science uh you know tony fauci being this i mean these people were not well intentioned uh, the idea that they just sort of were like, oops, we messed up, sorry. It's just simply not true. These people were attempting to manipulate us at times. They were attempting to to abuse their powers, continue to try to do that. And so uh, the idea that we just sort of forgive and forget and not try to learn anything from this, I think is very, very silly, especially with things like schools, especially the schools. There are people who had so much power who absolutely ruined these students uh, educations ruined them and did not care and and I don't I'm not gonna forget about that I'm not gonna let them just sort of drift away and and, and act like it's all okay and I hope voters don't either. And, and to be clear, she didn't want to give everybody amnesty. There were some people 
who she pointed out, and in some like we're spreading malicious misinformation, but she was definitely picking winners and losers. Yeah. Teachers unions who force schools to be closed and cause huge learning loss, yeah, they can you know get forgiven. But she also picked out a few people who, even to this day, she says are too far gone, don't deserve our forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So it was not necessarily an even-handed piece, but just absolutely incredible. I'm sorry, I I, I don't even know what we're talking. Amnesty. <laughs> For being a complete because, disingenuous moron that I, impacted the I, lives I of well, millions though. of people, but I, but I meant well. When I it was, I was trying to say, but they didn't. What they, they and did I, I know you're for like, daring to step outside I, I, yeah. of their house? I'm sorry, not yeah. wipe down their chips look, before the, they came he, in look, from the grocery. Look, look, look in the broader context. Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, yeah. the incumbent <laughs> Democrat governor, who's in a fight now, had a debate with her opponent Tudor Dixon the other night, in which she claimed, "Well, we only closed the schools for three months." This there is a large conspiracy of people going on going on right now, trying to rewrite yeah. what history here. Lie about what they did. Let's get amnesty for the things people didn't like. What? Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. No. 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 I. I just this was, and I agree with you. Oster has been okay yeah. on some policy issues. Not this one. This is. There is no amnesty because I don't think any of these people were operating in good faith. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the key. They were not, Sean. Well, it's, not only, it's not only that. Um, you all see Dr. Fauci a few weeks ago denying the fact, like denying that he had anything to do with shutdown policies or shutdowns of schools and this sort of thing. And so, again, it's this other thing. It's like what world are these people living in where they think they can do one thing for, I don't know, about a year and then boop. Goes down the goes down the memory hole. It's gone. It's like it never happened. I mean, these people. It's just they they have no they take no responsibility. And so, no. I mean, I I don't believe in forgiveness for people when they don't acknowledge that they have sinned. I uh, so, and that's the point. If if any of these folks came forward and said, you know what, if I had it to do over again, knowing what I know now, I would not have done this, that, or the other. Particularly that. Dis, that that despicable Randy Weingarten. If she or anybody like her came forward and said, you know what, that was wrong. But you know what, not only have they not done that, they double down on it or they lie about it. Fauci is about to get his because yeah. when the Republicans oh, yeah. win, he's going to be hauled in front of Congress and he's got questions to answer. And he needs to answer them. But people want answers. People lost yeah. their businesses. They lost their jobs. Their kids are woefully behind. Look at the test scores. Yeah. Yeah. An entire generation of children. You had people die of overdoses, commit suicide, all because of this, this religion they created overnight. Couldn't get cancer screenings. Couldn't, couldn't go to funerals. To- and the reckoning I, we're having I mean, on it, uh, on on uh, toddlers now, and the 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 delayed healthcare we've had on toddlers, and as well it, as speech recognition yeah. and being able to, oh, it's, it's just cr- human interaction. You mentioned yeah. uh, Randy with the, the teachers unions too. Again, it's not like they were like going up there and they're like, "Wow, guys, we think it might be spreading in the schools." They had fake body bags and fake uh, cemeteries built on the front of the school grounds to try to stop schools from reopening. The the Chicago Teachers Union tweeted that schools reopening was rooted in racism and misogyny Ugh. and sexism. These people were not well-intentioned. They they believed we were all grandma killers for wanting to open these schools back up. These people were evil. They should be held accountable. They we went, should not I, forget this. They went to I playgrounds. Remember. 
They put pieces of plywood over basketball they hoops. They took the hoops down. The <laughs> they they oh poured God. sand at skateboard parks. They closed yes. beaches. They they arrested parents for taking their kids to playgrounds when no one else was around. Our Nuts. governor sent the state police to churches on Easter. Stop. I mean, it's it, the 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 like the rewriting of history is insane. Like we were all sitting around, like, well, we don't, I don't know, maybe God's like. And here's why you can't insane. have amnesty, e- even if you, even if you said, look, you can't spend your whole life looking backwards. I'm not. I'm looking forwards. What if it happens again? Yep. If there's no accountability for what happened, how do you stop these tyrants of the future? Well, I think it's a, it's a matter of, of of it's an article of faith right now because. To your point, it's it's one thing to say if, if like for amnesty would would in my Catholic faith you talk about some way in terms of like an act of contrition or you have to kind of come forward and acknowledge your right. sins. But if you actually don't, if you actually believe, well, I was right in the first place, that's a whole different story. And that's that's your point, Scott. Yes. At this point, saying no, we've set the bar. We know what to do. And if you question that today, that's that's probably the reason. Maybe part of the push pushback too. I don't need amnesty for anything. I did the right thing. I saved Grandma. Do yeah, we, I mean, know? I'm sure they believe that still. The other thing, too, is is we should not deprive ourselves of an opportunity to learn something about ourselves and that the importance of community, the importance of, you know, being in families and being able to see each other as social creatures. And what that what the whole pandemic experience was is that it took that away from us. And we're, we're, we're seeing incredible mental health consequences as a result of it. And we this is a great opportunity for us to actually come together as as people rather than than be ripping each other apart. You think about the people who had relatives in hospitals and nursing homes who died alone. Who couldn't see their their moms or dads or their grandmas, their grandpas, elderly relatives. You think about the people who died alone because of these policies. It it, it is just it's heartbreaking. It's breathtaking. And these families will never, ever recover these years, these memories, these experiences. Their kids will never recover this learning loss. People will never recover the economic damage that was done to them. So you can't even quantify what was taken away from so many people. It, it is outrageous. Amnesty? No, no, no. No, thank you. Well, we'll see what happens in terms, to your point, after the election next week and what the consequences are uh, in in Washington, at least, as far as some of the hearings that will be held on a number of things that have not been talked about. But speaking of which, before we wrap it up here, we have spent the last year and a half or so since this podcast launched talking about the next week's election and all whether I mean, we actually started talking about how COVID would be and the restrictions mm-hmm. would affect that. And that, of course, led up to the Glenn Youngkin victory in Virginia. And that was perhaps a canary in a coal mine for some folks. And we wondered, would that still sustain this long into November? Oddly enough, maybe it is. Well, so much of, of, of the derivative of, of COVID and the policy decisions, I mean, we're experiencing now. And uh, and people are still dealing with the ramifications of it. The ripple effects are huge. And uh, and so in some ways, the election's all about COVID. Uh, so I'm going to start with you, Scott. After Scott here, I want everyone to give a bold prediction on next to, on, on Tuesday's election, okay? Mm. But first of all, just lay the groundwork for us, Scott, because it's your last chance to, on the podcast at least, yeah. to kind of give us these predictions. Well, I'm quite bullish on the House uh, for Republicans. I think we're in 30-plus seat territory. Just And that's just purely based on the macro polling I've seen. Generic ballot moving to the Republicans. 
right track, wrong track, remaining really upside down. Biden's approval rating, as we mentioned at the top of the show, still in the low 40s. Democrats spending money to save seats in Rhode Island, Oregon, New York, California. There's some seats that Joe Biden won by 10, 12, 20 points that they're having to spend in. Apart from the polls, just follow the money in these races. And you can see Democrats are at the Alamo here. I mean, they they are in the bluest seats freaking out that they're going to lose them. So that tells me they think we're in wave territory, and I and I also believe that. So I'm, I'm, I've been bullish on the House, as you all know. I've called it a mortal lock for a year and a half, and, uh, and I've never been more certain about that prediction. I'm still 50-50 on the Senate, and here's why. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Pennsylvania and Georgia. The, the, the big three, I'm confident in Nevada. I believe Laxalt's got it. I think Republicans are going to sweep in Nevada. Uh, I think I would rather be Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker in the two other seats. Uh, I like the polling movement. I like the, you know, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Biden has a 37% approval rating in Georgia. I like some of the things I'm seeing. I've not seen them over the top yet. There's been more evidence that Herschel is over the top, or at least on top of Warnock, but then you have that release of the possibility of a runoff down there, so you might not get a definitive result. I like the movement towards Oz. I watched the debate, which... (laughs) Golly, was insane, uh, and I and I and I instinctively know you know this thing is moving in his direction. But again, I I, I just I'm not I don't know I'm not I'm not out here to like cheerlead or make bold predictions uh, when when I'm still seeing conflicting right. kinds of evidence. So I'm confident Nevada, then probably Georgia, then probably Pennsylvania. There are some strategists who quibble with me and would put PA over Georgia. Beyond that, some outer band stuff. Uh, is is on the map. Uh, New, New Hampshire is apparently a dead heat. Arizona is apparently a dead heat. Washington State is apparently a dead heat. Colorado tonight in a new survey that's out is apparently a dead heat. Will Republicans win all these races? Uh, probably not. Uh, but man, do they look good in some of these places for a, for the possibility of some upsets? Yes, yes, they do. So I'll predict that Republicans win the Senate. I don't have a number for you because I'm just I'm just not sure. But if we can't find one in this environment, then shame on us. Kevin. Oh, wow. He he covered the whole thing pretty well. Well, I'm just going to say I'm staying up late to watch, watch Washington State. Tiffany Smiley, great candidate up there. I think she's given uh, Patty Murray a run for her money. Um, so don't tell my boss, but I'm going to try to take a, a nap Tuesday mid-afternoon so I can stay up late and watch Washington come in. All right. I like hey, it. Hey, Scott, Kevin's going to take a nap. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> Sean? Yeah, I think uh, – I think that you know I'm I'm also not going to be a bold predictor here. I but I'll just differ from Scott a little bit and say that I think that we will take the Senate. Uh, I said we would take the Senate, but you you were fifty fifty at first. Then you said you won't tell us a number. So so Sean, because you're giving him trouble, give us a number. I'm going to say fifty two. No, I said I said I'd rather be us than them. Right. And if we can't find one in this right. environment, then shame on us. He, so I, he, I he think talked himself into it. I think yeah. I think I think we're going to get there. But I'm just in you know some of these states. I just I still think are you know the possibility exists that you don't win them all. But I but right. I. I think you're right, and I think my, my prediction is basically we'll be scratching our heads in the following morning because it'll be a, kind of a mixed bag some places. I think overall, obviously, it's toward Republicans. I do think Georgia definitely does not get decided next week. It will go to a runoff. You think definitely? Okay. Definitely. Th- that's my, oh, I, that I was think, my bold I think prediction. The, I think yeah. that, look, I'm just telling you, if it is true that Biden is at 37, I'm just that's a low number. 
And, and the possibility of Herschel getting to 50 is real. Remember what Robert Blizzard told us, is that you can really only run six points ahead of the president. Yeah, That's and right. and yeah. so where... Well, so this is why it's a bold, bold prediction. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going against, I guess, the smartest minds who have been on the <laughs> podcast and saying, I think that Georgia goes to a runoff. And I think, I'm, I guess I'd be even bolder to say, wouldn't that be something if control of the U.S. Senate again comes down to a Georgia runoff? Do you, like have, a, did do you have a bold prediction ago? on Pennsylvania? It won't, it won't be a runoff. <laughs> I think uh, that's a courageous prediction, Joe. Okay. Courageous. I, I, I say Oz wins. Uh, you got Oz? What do you yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take Oz, too. I think Oz actually wins easily. I mean, I just think between the debate from yeah. Fetterman, I just think he has been plummeting in these last few uh, weeks, if not months, here. And so I actually think Oz might win, and Pennsylvania is one of these states where they count ballots for like 62 weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually wouldn't be surprised if we know night of that Oz has won. I think he's wow. doing that well. There I, have yeah. been some polling misses in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, and so that will be my bold prediction was that Georgia goes to runoff. I think we're doomed to all have to care about Georgia for some <laughs> reason for the next few months. Uh, locally, I'll throw it out there. I think a couple of incumbent school board members might get knocked off here. We've been talking a lot about schooling. I think there's some candidates that have run decent campaigns and have run that kind of parent-first type campaign. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a couple of incumbents here in Jefferson County uh, get knocked off, and that ends up throwing the, the local school board into some disarray because there's some there'll be some people on there who will not just be, you know, check the box and, and move on type people. Um but so my bold prediction would have been Georgia goes to a runoff, but I'll say Oz wins, and we know he wins night of, uh, despite the fact that they, people go home like they're allowed to go home in Pennsylvania. They just are like we're going to stop. Well, we'll go home. So let me ask you guys this: What's more likely, Tiffany Smiley wins in Washington or O'Day wins in Colorado? Smiley. 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 I think O'Day had the Trump went after him not that long ago. Correct. I think there's that I think, probably stains a I, little bit. I, I think O'Day. Yeah. Interesting. There's more mail-in in Colorado, right? Uh, I think they're almost all virtually all yeah. mail-in, which means that it had to be two weeks ago when everyone made their mind up. Yeah. I, I heard I heard some insiders in Washington are increasingly bullish on Smiley. and that uh, someday... I'll say that Smiley is, I don't know that she wins, but I think that she comes closer than O'Day does. Interesting. Okay. Who, what's more likely? Let me ask another question. New Hampshire or Arizona? Arizona. 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 Yeah. You think? Because of Kerry Lake. I mean, I, I'll just, I'll just, for devil's advocate purposes, I think Hassan is a far weaker incumbent than Kelly. Hmm. I mean, she's terrible. I mean, terrible. Kelly's at least you know, got the astronaut thing going for him, but Hassan <laughs> is just miserable. I think, though, to, to, to Kevin's point about Kerry Lake, there's a whole different variety of factors going on in Arizona. Do you all think Kerry Lake's going to win? Yeah, yeah, I do too. She, she, I mean, first of all, Hobbs is also just. She's just yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, I mean, this is like Harlem Globetrotters, Washington Generals, Carrie Lake versus Hobbs, just on raw political sure, talent. Yeah. So, yeah. who's, who's going to win bigger, DeSantis or Kemp? I'm going to say DeSantis. Yeah, I think DeSantis is rolling in Florida. It wouldn't shock. I mean, uh, there's a. But I think they're both in for big nights. Yeah, I mean, Stacey Abrams is a really bad candidate. It wouldn't shock me if Kemp. You know, I, again, I'm saying that as someone who thinks it's going to a runoff. I don't know how much Kemp can kind of carry Walker, but Stacey Abrams. I mean, my goodness. I know people talk about her ability to like fundraise or whatever she does in the off season, but she's been a terrible candidate. 
What will what will Beto O'Rourke run for after this election? <laughs> oh man! What will, well, well, S- I think Beto O'Rourke Senate and Stacey Abrams. You're talking about the Democratic presidential ticket in 2024. What what, what have they raised combined? Is it like 150 million dollars flushed? And, and Amy McGrath is the Secretary of Defense. <laughs> 150 mil flushed. Isn't that incredible? To never lead in a single poll. Neither of them have ever led in a single poll. Really, really. You know, it's interesting. The, the, some of the narrative on this election election has is and again driven by the press candidate quality candidate quality candidate quality no one's ever stopped to ask do we have quality candidates on the democratic ticket right. because in a lot of places they don't beto's terrible mm-hmm. abrams is terrible hassan is terrible cortez masto is terrible charlie christ is terrible i mean shall i go on there are a number booker's terrible here in kentucky i mean a number of these candidates were absolute duds or worse so we have to wrap this up because we're – well, we have to, but I'm saying I think we're, we're right about that time. I, I hate to ask you this question again, Scott, because I forgot if it's been so blurred now in my head as far as the Senate map. When we're watching the results come in on Tuesday night, at what point – or what are you looking at first as to say, okay – yeah. This trend this seems to be going this certain direction. One of the things I'll be looking for is to see if we won more of the races. And if we win the races that we so, think are important and just, they lose, I am going break to tweet, this down, Scott. So. I'm going to tweet your picture right now. It's a lot. This very it's, moment. It's really. Of you with the Liberty Bell taking your, how, how your we pants off. Well, it's yeah, a, yeah. well, it's you a, have, how do we, if how you do we get, win it is. If you get more votes yes. finding it than that's the it. other guy. I mean, I know that's getting technical. Okay. All right. But it's all a right. lot the way I watch football. I got it if right you here. score more oh, touchdowns. That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It generally. You're Harvard sweatshirt. You'll win. Looking so, up at the so Scott, PSA agents at the Liberty Bell. You say it comes down I, I can't to, find to it. some math, Scott. It's just is it math? Is that the term? Yeah, you're looking yeah. Like, so 20, 23, how's our, how's 40 century. Yeah. yeah, you know, whatever. That's it, what just I'm looking look for. Look on 4chan; it's all there. <laughs> I'm just that's what I'm. There I am. Just, look how upset I am. Man, a man <laughs> disappointed. I, <laughs> he just tweeted it. I don't know. I mean, look, if 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 it comes if Georgia looks like it's it's coming in hot early, that'll be a big sign. If New Hampshire yeah. comes in hot, if there's a couple of congressional seats in Virginia that I'm looking for, uh Lurie and Spangenberger. This is a better answer now. We'll see. I know. And uh we'll look at that. I'm trying to prime you for your CNN big uh, night. You're going to be there all day, aren't you? I am going to be on I'm, TV. This is this is like your AAA, this is like your betting practice here. I'm trying to help you to get ready for the questions they're going to ask you. I, I'm ready. And they're, 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 and you're guaranteed to be asked stupid questions on CNN. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, we're going to have a great show by the way. I'm going to yeah. be on from like 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. on Tuesday and Wednesday. There's going to be a lot of great people out there. David Axelrod will be there, I know, among others who I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to being with David more than I am Jim Messina. (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, I can tell you that. But we're going to have – it's going to be – this is CNN. We excel at this. It's going to be a great panel. We've got the right personnel, the magic board. I'm I'm really looking forward to election. Because remember, in 20, I was stuck here. At the, I was just sitting in a box here by myself for hours on end, and we're actually going to be out there on the big set. Well, it's going to uh, be amazing. John King be on the map. Oh because that's yeah, one of my favorite things. Now is... I tried to touch it once, but when I touch it, it like it like literally like zaps zap me. It. <laughs> like uh, they, they don't let me touch it. But well, John to, King will be there to answer yeah. Scott's rhetorical question directed back at himself. Yes, here on Flyover Country, Scott Jennings. You do have friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening this week. Thanks to Sean, Kevin, Scott, 
Jared, I'm Joe Arnold. Scott, take us home. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your all's following along with Flyover Country as we run up to the election. Next week, we will uh, break it down, see where we fell, uh, and see what uh, politics looks like for middle America after, I think, a big night for the Republicans. Thanks for being with us, and tell your friends. Give us the five stars. Subscribe and follow and put it on your social media. You're on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.